Hello, everyone. I'm Al Daldegan, creator and producer of the Leaders, Innovators, and Big Ideas podcast, supported by Rainforest Alberta. This podcast showcases the people who are working to improve Alberta's innovation ecosystem. Hey, loyal listeners. I'll be hosting this episode myself. I've been involved in software development for more than 25 years. I've started companies, led companies, and worked for companies, doing many different things. I'm honored to be considered a leader in Alberta's innovation ecosystem, and I give back as much and as often as I can. When I'm not working or podcasting, you'll find me pursuing my passions of photography, crypto investing, and woodworking, along with the occasional round of golf. Now come join me as I have a conversation with Robert Herrett. Let's get on with it. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the episode. Today, my special guest is Robert Herrett. Robert is the president of a company called StyroGo. And uh, you may find this as fascinating a conversation as I know I am going to. Apparently, styrofoam is recyclable and easily recyclable, uh, but we're just not doing it. So, Robert, thanks for joining me today. Absolutely, Al. Thanks for inviting me. Well, let's start out like I always do, Robert, and let's talk a little bit about who you are. Like, how did you, how did your career path sort of end up in you starting this business? Like, what would what did you do when you came out of, came out of school and started your career? I, I certainly have a bit of a colorful past. I, I graduated university with a. Uh, a degree in geography and political science. I was going to go into law. I went to New Zealand for a six-week holiday. I ended up living there for two and a half years and came back as a pilot because that normally happens. I got stuck. So I came back to Canada, finished up my commercial qualifications at an aviation college in Eastern Canada and found myself getting my foot in the door with the Calgary and Alberta's original airline. From there, after 9-11 though, it totally took the fun out of the industry. And and I still have friends there that, you know, it's unimaginable that their kids have never been up to the flight deck and and seen where they are because it's the best seat in the sky. And yet the world has changed and apparently it's gotten a little better, but of course you still can't have people up there. So I saw my opportunity to exit and go into private business. So I took that chance. And of course, everyone's like, you're crazy. Now they look at me and they're like, you know, you're so lucky. And I'm like, this a little hard work in the middle there, right? But I started a small business uh, doing consulting, had to go get a job uh, on the side when I first got my business up and running because, you know, consulting is something where you do the work and you get paid later. So I did some consulting for a few different clients. And then a friend of mine had won the contract with a major developer for a major multifamily project in Southeast Calgary. And he approached me and said, listen, can you manage this for me? Because you could literally crawl your, crawl across the street to where it is, and I'm on the exact opposite side of the city. So I did that, and it ended up being this huge project, over 400 units and seven years of work. Yeah, it was a huge condo project, but it was during that time that I was there, and I can specifically remember watching just these dumpsters piled high with styrofoam going to the dump, and that's where the seed was planted. I can still remember sitting in the construction shack just looking at the window, and it was about this time of year, actually, it was cold and the snow was on the ground. I'm going, it's got a recycle symbol on it. Uh, why doesn't somebody do anything? So I started doing a bit of homework and went, oh, there's no money in it. That's why nobody does it. So I took it on as a bit of a, just a, you know, project management challenge to say, okay, 
Uh, I can land a hundred ton aircraft. I can manage a, a huge, uh, you know, 400 unit project. I, I can figure out how to make recycling styrofoam work. So it began, a, a just, it took me about 18 months to figure it out, figure out the technology, um, line up the vendors and everything else. It took about 18 months to figure out the specifics. It was unique enough. Anyway, I certainly didn't go down to uh, this path to invent an industry, but it was unique enough that I got three patents issued on it. Yeah. And then from there, um, you know, we started out auspiciously trying to change everybody's belief that, as you said, styrofoam actually is recyclable. <laughs> Contrary to what, you know, the messaging that we've been fed for a long time. Now, you said something really interesting. You said that the the styrofoam packaging itself has a recyclable symbol on it. So was anybody in the world recycling styrofoam before you came up with the idea? Absolutely. There is, I guess, previous to my involvement, really, there's only two types of styrofoam recycling. There are the companies that A, had really deep pockets and B, produced such an enormous amount that it made sense for them to invest in the machinery to do a great example of this would be Canada's own the brick, you know, because they deal in such large volumes of appliances and furniture, their DCs in Calgary, Edmonton, Vancouver, and, and Ontario all have a machine and, you know, they produce trailers of the stuff per week. So when you're into that level, you know, it, it made sense that, and they didn't go into this. And the other thing is though that they, there's nobody that's gone into styrofoam recycling as a business model. They got into it to reduce their garbage costs. It wasn't an economic opportunity in terms of generating revenue. It was merely a method to reduce cost. Aside from them, the only other ones were municipalities. They were government funded. And just like the government funds the C train or the buses, they do that as a public service. And most of the time, those services actually lose money, but we do it for the betterment of the, of the community. And likewise, there's two small communities in Alberta that have been doing styrofoam recycling for more than a decade, and they do it for their small community, and it costs the community significant money per year to run. Per capita, it's their most expensive service that they provide to their citizens, but it's something that they had to vote on many years ago, and the citizens said, yes, they'd rather see a $3 hike in their taxes, you know, for a small community, but to pay for this service. Okay, so... Now, I think one of the important points to mention is that styrofoam, big white chunks of styrofoam that are wrapped around your television set or your couch or whatever, when you buy something, that's actually plastic, right? It's a form of plastic. And so tell us a little bit about, I mean, obviously not in great detail, but just in general, the process that you came up with and what happens after the process, like what's the result of that process? The, the thumbnail sketch of styrofoam itself you know, obviously there's been attempts at other materials to be used for packaging. There's wax cardboard, there's peanuts, there's more recently, you know, airbags. Uh, certainly there's been a few studies. One of the most uh, conclusive was done by somebody at the University of Victoria, where they studied all the different packaging materials and found that styrofoam is by far A, the most cost effective and B, the least impactful to the environment when you consider upstream and downstream water, energy, raw material input, you know, the whole life cycle of these various products, they found that polystyrene was by far the best. And a further study has been done very recently out of California showing that of all the plastics, polystyrene is one of the easiest to recycle. So it's it fits very nicely with the way that the world is moving to a circular economy. 
And the resin producers and manufacturers are moving in this direction where they really discovered they were part of the problem why recycling various plastics didn't happen because you could have the most dedicated eco warrior who goes and buys a rotisserie chicken and the bottom was made of plastic number four and the top was plastic number five. And they would scrub it out to where it's completely sanitary and brand new again, but they're not going to have six different plastic bins for the recycling company to pick up. They put it in their blue bin and because you got two different plastic codes, it can't be recycled. So they realized we're part of the problem here. So, and of course they haven't done this with any public announcement or fanfare, but certainly if you start looking at those little, the, the three little arrows with the number in the middle, if you start looking at those at the grocery store, you'll see the vast majority are now shifting to plastics four, five, and six. They're really shifting the vast majority of them into those plastic because those three resins can be, with advanced recycling, that's another topic, can be commingled and successfully recycled, upcycled. And so the, the people who are making the plastics are certainly investing a lot of money into making sure that they can be recycled with our current recycling infrastructure. Probably the best example uh, of not just the resin producers, but also companies would be Keurig, Dr. Pepper. And uh, so the people that make Keurig and those K-cups that you put in for a single dose of coffee, and then you pull it out and, you know, how do you recycle it? And they spent millions of dollars figuring out how to make the outside hard plastic, the same plastic resin as if you peel off the top and inside your coffee grounds. If you dump the coffee grounds out, you've got a little mesh net in there. It's flexible. And they spent millions of dollars figuring out how to make that soft, flexible mesh the same plastic as the hard exterior. But they were able to do it. And that's why now K-Cups, you'll see they all have this little green triangle on them saying recyclable because you just peel off the lid, empty the coffee grounds, give it a quick rinse, throw it in your blue bin because it's all plastic number five and it can be easily recycled. So, you know, companies are really moving and putting significant effort and, and finances into making sure that their products can be recycled with ease. That's brilliant. That's fantastic. And then the the second part of my question with styrofoam recycling, how does that process work and what can you do with what comes out of the other end? Well, it's funny enough with styrofoam or polystyrene as it's styrofoam is a brand name, but of course, most people don't ask for facial tissue. They'll say, do you have a Kleenex? And styrofoam has become ubiquitous where it's referred to in the generic sense and people refer to meat trays and everything else that resembles that or, or seems like it. They use the brand name styrofoam to describe it. So with styrofoam, it's really been a bit under the radar of most people's consciousness. As you mentioned that it, it seems that it wasn't recyclable and, and you know that was your understanding. And that's been something that's been propagated a lot by municipalities because the answer is yes, it can be recycled. It's just with current technology, it hasn't evolved over 20 years. So using existing technology, it was prohibitively expensive. So it was much easier to for municipalities and cities to say, yes, it can't be recycled because then they're not going to get flack from citizens about why don't you do it? Where if they just say, no, it's not recyclable, okay, no problem, then people don't object to it. So with styrofoam, the irony is that it was kind of the forgotten cousin of the plastics world and nothing really had evolved. So the, when I started looking at this, the technology was decades old and really nothing had been done. Whereas most other recycling technologies have advanced considerably. Most people, hopefully some of your listeners anyway, will remember, you know, 20 odd years ago with cardboard, if it had a staple in it, 
And those of us old enough to remember when your bills came in the mail, so you got your TELUS bill or whatever come in the mail, if you wanted to recycle that envelope, you had to take your bill out and then you had to peel off that little clear plastic window for it to be recyclable. And, you know, that's, that's where that started. And, you know, some of your listeners are going, bills come in the mail, like, <laughs> you know, but it's, uh, but that's where it started. And with cardboard, if it had a staple in it, it, it was rejected, you know, or a sticker. So, you know, that's where it was such limitations that, you know, companies that were trying to do their best at McDonald's, like the fry boxes and things that they go through mountains of. And I mean, having to peel off these stickers that were on like concrete and staples or whatever. So, but nowadays they're, you know, bundled into these bales and sit outside Walmart for two months covered in snow and, and stuff. And they're recycling a problem. That's because the technology has evolved where there's value in it. And these contamination issues really are, are easily dealt with. Polystyrene or styrofoam really was still stuck in the, you know, the, the era of the 80s and the 90s. It's decades old technology. That said, it could be recycled with what I refer to as legacy recyclers, where we put it in a machine, it greatly reduces its volume. That's the key. That's what makes styrofoam so great at what it does. And it takes up a lot of space and it's strong, but it weighs nothing. That's the same problem as to why it can't be recycled conventionally, because you'll spend $500 to collect $50 worth of material. So we put it in a machine that'll greatly reduce the volume it takes up. It, it simply is, you know, if you put it in a cardboard baler, it'll reduce it by about two thirds, but uh, you know, half to two thirds, depending on the baler. When we put it in our machine, we will reduce it from uh, like a 53 foot trailer load, which we do for some clients. We'll do that in a couple of hours. A 53 foot trailer load of styrofoam is about 3000 cubic feet. And we will reduce that from that size to almost uh, about half the size of a conventional fridge in a few hours. And that, you know, so we'll go from 3,000 cubic feet to, you know, roughly maybe 30 cubic feet and it weighs 1,200 pounds. So we reduce it and it becomes more dense and therefore economical to transport. When it goes to our machine, like I said, it gets to about 60 or 65 pounds per cubic foot is the density. We sell this to offshore manufacturers. They run it through a grinder. It comes out looking like rice, basically. It's then graded according to color and clarity. And then it's used as their basic raw material for injection molding and, and these kind of things, blow molding. They can make um, an unbelievable amount of things from it. And I guarantee the average Canadian has multiple items uh, in their home made from this. It's very common. About 80% of the time when you see something that's a finished or manufactured product, and it says on it contains recycled material, 80% of the time it's polystyrene because it's so compatible with almost anything else. They can make it look like anything. They can make it look like stainless steel, marble, granite, brushed nickel, bird's eye maple, you know, slate. They can make it look like anything. I've been to the factories and, and I've watched the process and it's truly amazing what they do. And as a secondary benefit, I came to realize that whenever they have a shortfall of styrofoam as feedstock what they do then is uh, they use wood for presses so you know the secondary benefit of recycling styrofoam is you're displacing you know the use of wood as a manufacturing so there's kind of a secondary green effect there where they're not cutting down trees for manufacturing they're using a plastic but most people look at certain things like that and go well if they didn't have it they don't make it no the demand is there for the products they're making if they don't have plastics to recycle and put into it as a feedstock, then they'll just use wood, <laughs> you know? So yeah, but the short answer to your question is 
they take the material, it's made into these various moldings, frames. It can be picture frames, tiles, backsplashes, baseboards, crown moldings, you know, any kind of a decorative piece. Small uh, spaces like in airlines and stuff. I think I'm a real favorite of this where they can make it look like a marble countertop in the bathroom and the first class section of the aircraft. But of course, marble is very heavy. Weight is bad on an aircraft. So these kind of decorative touches that you know look amazing and, and high quality, but yet have low weight. So it's various things like this that they can do that even in cars. Most automobiles now are hugely mostly plastic. And so even some of the finished wood touches and, and so forth on some of your automobiles are actually recycled styrofoam because they can make it look that way. And it, and it works well. That's incredible. And and just maybe as a follow-up question, are are those products that are made from the recycled styrofoam, are they, is it possible to further recycle those if they need to? Uh, the best of my understanding is no. Certainly it's more of a diversion from waste as opposed to a true circular economy or closed loop system, so to speak. And part of the problem is that you know, these are legacy recyclers, whereas, you know, the technology is from decades old. The technology did not exist 30 years ago to turn a can of Coke back into a can of Coke. But now that's aluminum is a closed loop recycle program where, you know, 95% of it goes back and makes the exact same thing again. But again, the that's, that's legacy recycling. And the good news is, is that finally innovation is catching up and polystyrene is getting an awful lot of attention these days in terms of uh, for recyclability and, and other valuable co or components that it has in it. So just before COVID hit, we are actually were approached by two companies. Now a third has come on the scene, interested in partnering up with us to be able to take the polystyrene or styrofoam that we collect and recycle it with what's been kind of termed in the industry as advanced recycling. That's not necessarily one specific method, but it, it's just a, that term is being applied to technologies that are able to basically recycle styrofoam into other things, which obviously can be recycled further amounts or, you know, endlessly in a, in a closed loop system. So the technology has finally come about where they can take styrofoam, regardless of the contamination, and recycle it into brand new virgin styrofoam. They also are able to take it and break it down uh, chemically. And the, and the reason why styrofoam is so popular for this application is because really it's just a pure petrol product. And so they're able to reverse engineer it. Most of these technologies revolve around something called pyrolysis, which is a certain well-established technology, which is basically heating up a plastic in the absence of oxygen. And then they're able to start uh, capturing the off gases that come from it and using it for various applications. But where the advanced part of the recycling comes in is where Everybody seems to have a different spin on it. Some of them use powerful electric magnets. Some use microwaves. There's various applications that they can bring to bear that further enhance the pyrolysis system. And from this, they can uh, turn it into diesel, gasoline, jet fuel. There's a company in Ontario called Green Mantra. So, you know, there's PyroWave in Montreal. They just signed a deal with, they use microwaves to further enhance their advanced recycling of styrofoam they just signed a major deal with michelin michelin's convinced that they can reverse engineer the styrofoam using pyrowaves technology and make up to 12 percent of the tire from styrofoam and green mantra they've had various they've had huge success dealing with polypropylene which is plastic resin number five the little 
three you know arrows on the bottom of something. So, but they've done some trials with uh, polystyrene, which is number six. They can recycle the polystyrene into various things like decking or the ink that's used uh, in dry erase markers and various other applications. And when you're using these kind of things, certainly that's still linear, but you're greatly displacing virgin uh, resin from being you know turned into that. So you're displacing basically the original petrochemical source that would normally be captured for this. And in the case of another company in the US called Agilex, they actually have really perfected and closed the loop on polystyrene where they can take any form of polystyrene, even foodware, which has kind of been that Achilles heel of the whole industry, which is contaminated with you know greases or oils and that sort of thing. They've developed the technology and perfected it where they can take food or grade material contaminated with food and uh, they can recycle that into brand new styrofoam. With this recycling ability, I know that Cochrane has had a, a recycle program for quite some time and so have some other smaller towns, but Calgary and Edmonton specifically do not recycle styrofoam at the moment. Can you maybe give us an idea of why that is and, and how that's hopefully going to change? So those familiar with uh, urban I guess, you know, had their ear to the to the eco chatter, so to speak. Alberta is finally bringing in what's called an extended producer responsibility program. Those wheels are finally and fully in motion. There were stakeholder engagements back in January of 2021. And so those wheels are in motion. Incidentally, Alberta is the last province in Canada to have an EPR, of course. But um, the benefit being that obviously you can uh, stand on the shoulders of those who have gone before you. You can learn from their mistakes. BC is the pioneer in North America in regards to this. They've had an EPR for 14 years and they made lots of mistakes because they were the first. And, and you know, so they they really trailblazed the way. And then there's Ontario and, and other regions. So Alberta has been very poignantly, you know, cherry picking the best of the BC and, and Ontario programs and wanting to add their own unique Alberta enhancements and so forth to make sure it works here, which is fantastic. So that is coming in. And for those of your listeners who are not familiar with it, the short version of EPR is simply that there's something called the AUMA, the Alberta Urban Municipal Association. It's kind of a group of the larger municipalities in the province that, you know, it's an association for them to deal collectively with the provincial government. They did a study and realized that because everybody else has, has a, an EPR program and we don't, the citizens of Alberta are already paying for one. The problem is because there's no legislation, we're actually not getting the benefit. And and they cited a few examples, one being manufacturers, uh, of course, across Canada are already part of this program. It's just not here. So Samsung has an $800 dishwasher, for instance. They sell that dishwasher in BC for $800. Buried in the price it's not transparent or visible to the consumer, is $12 for an EPR. But they don't sell that same dishwasher here for $788. It's still $800. The $12 we're already paying, but because there's no legislation, it's not submitted. That's not evil corporations that don't want to give up the money. It's, you know, if, if the government doesn't have a specific line code for you to be, submit something, they won't. They're all about bureaucracy and process. And if there's not a process for it, you can't do anything about it. That actually is part of the problem why we're not involved here in, in, in Calgary and Edmonton. The, the the EPR coming in, that that money is already being paid out. And so they did a very comprehensive study and they found that there's in well over a hundred million dollars a year that is being paid by Alberta citizens. And 
because there's no legislation, we're not getting any benefit from it. And everything from your bottle of perch shampoo has 12 cents or, you know, whatever, there's money already baked into the price of virtually all the paper and plastic packaging that is part of the recycling programs. And so, yeah, so that's, that's where that is. It's a little bit different than say the beverage recycling program where there's a deposit. And as well, you'll have noticed that when you go buy your case of water or whatever, that they'll charge an extra two cents a bottle or something, but it's called the CRF fee or something, but that's visible in the receipt. This is something that's completely baked in the price. It's invisible to the consumer, but it's, it's very much there. So they realized that, well, we're really losing out on this. And these are serious numbers. They said that obviously if they distributed the money across Alberta on a per capita basis, Calgary would get something like $22 million a year. And so this isn't some one-time half a million dollar grant from the feds or something. This is significant revenue that would displace what we as taxpayers are funding. So the the impetus is on them to, to bring an EPR into place. Part of how an EPR is going to be run is there has to be eco-centers. Now, for your listeners outside of Calgary, this would be very obvious. People in Calgary will be, what, really? If they haven't gone elsewhere, and that is... Uh, Calgary is the only major city without an eco-center, without a recycling center. We have uh, a, a semblance of it at the three landfills with a throw-and-go, where you can you know, take fluorescent bulbs and batteries and paints and these kind of things. But there's no actual eco-center where you can bring things. Whereas in Edmonton, they have four. They've got one in each quadrant of the city. And when you roll in there, they can take almost everything, like mattresses, small electronics and all these things paints, everything else. And so, you know, so they have that all set up. And so part of an EPR program will entail that the city of Calgary will have to get some ecosystem done up and, and accessible for people to obviously make it convenient enough to be part of. And these are typically separate from landfills. So that's where the city of Calgary is kind of behind on this. For even the surrounding communities, if you go to Okotoks, Airdrie, Cochrane, they have an ecocenter that you bring everything that can be recycled and they take care of it. So that shift has to happen in Calgary. It's the only major city that does not have that. Virtually every town in BC, Saskatchewan, all these other places, they have that. So that'll be part of what is required for an EPR program. And then that will be the main du jour. I would say you'll see these green bins that are in the Home Depot parking lot that people drop everything out and then it blows all over the parking lot. Those likely will diminish in number. They may not go away entirely, but certainly... With the availability and convenience of an eco-center where you can just pull in, open the trunk, and people take everything out for you, it's just a vastly more efficient method. And so that that's the transition that's going to happen here in Calgary. So when that does happen, certainly you'll see that. Part of the main problem with, we actually service all the surrounding communities of Calgary, Edmonton, Red Deer, and Lethbridge. All the major cities, we do the smaller communities around it, just not the big ones. And the main issue is bureaucracy with smaller communities. Their budget matters and playing with so many zeros. And if they can save, typically a lot of these places don't have the infrastructure cost to run their own landfill. You know, Airdrie, Cochrane, these places, Chestermere, they all send their stuff to the Calgary landfill. So, of course, any garbage they have to transport. And they readily recognize that transporting styrofoam, which is essentially air, is very costly. That's why all the, the smaller communities, they see an immediate savings. And so that's why they've all gotten on board. Whereas for the larger cities, especially the ones that run the infrastructure, you know, I actually had a city councilor in Calgary tell me, well, you know, you can throw it in the dump for free. Well, no, it's, it isn't free, actually. You know, there is an economic cost to that. It's just 
it, it disappears in your budget. Whereas obviously with a recycle program, it's an extra line item. But, you know, certainly there is a cost that when things go in the landfill, incidentally, Toronto is is realizing this with the very harsh reality that their landfills were filling up faster than expected. It takes 10 to 12 years to develop a new landfill. And about seven months ago, CBC reported on this in the in the GTA where their new landfill will open up in about five years and their current landfill is about to close in two years. So they are they're trying and scrambling to figure out how to fill that three-year gap where they, otherwise they'll be like, you know, trucking a hundred trucks a day to Chicago or somewhere. And you'll see, you know, the tipping fee at in Toronto, like, you know, they'll have to add a zero to it or something to pay for this. So they are now EPR, uh, Ontario is actually revamping their EPR to a full funded EPR, what it's called. And their, their goal is they want to divert as much as possible from what's going to landfill because they don't have the space. And the alternative is ridiculously expensive. So there is there is a cost to filling up the landfill faster. And there's a significant savings to, you know, filling it up with things sooner. So anyway, that's the answer to your question is that certainly the bureaucracy is one of the main issues. Smaller communities have smaller budgets and they recognize the savings because it's more apparent to them. But with the EPR coming in, that will trump the bureaucracy of the bigger establishments and force everybody to get on board. And, and this isn't just styrofoam, of course. This will be everything under the sun, you know, that can be recycled with the various plastics and, you know, shopping bags and tires. Absolutely. You know, Alberta is one of the better ones that's taken the initiative with, with electronics, you know. But there's various other products out there that need recycling outlets and there's no easy alternative. So with an EPR, it'll definitely... Um, there's various chemicals that are sometimes difficult, like antifreeze and oils and these sort of things that you just can't dump it down the drain. You can't throw it in the black bin. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. On a side note, I get it. Like I get business, but it's disturbing that people look at throwing things in a landfill or not as something is either cost effective or not, rather than going, is it right? Like, is, is it right to just bury things and let them decompose for millions of years rather than actually turning them into something usable or, or somehow recycling them into a new product? I don't know what could possibly make that change happen, but I guess, I guess if it becomes financially beneficial to recycle rather than not recycling, then that's about the only thing that's going to make the change. But, you know, we as consumers and we as, as citizens of these municipalities, I mean, we have a voice too. And if enough of us scream uh, out loud, someone's going to have to do something about it, you know, and, and, you know, this, this is really an interesting, we don't really get overly political on this podcast or anything like that. But uh, I mean, I would love to see all the listeners of this podcast start putting your styrofoam in your garage and, and waiting till you can recycle it rather than just throwing it in the landfill. One things that we did here in Crestmont is we have a Crestmont uh, cleanup day that we used to do twice a year. And the city of Calgary would bring their garbage trucks and we'd have women in, in need collect things that could still be used. And we had tire recycling and paint recycling and, and whatever. And Robert, you came to one of our most recent ones where you actually had your truck there and people brought tons and tons of styrofoam and uh, you collected it all and, and took it away. And I, actually it was... It was, even though to me, it was a ton of styrofoam to you, it probably wasn't a whole lot, <laughs> but, 
Are you open to community associations doing recycling days and having you join them to collect the styrofoam? Absolutely. That is definitely something we are very much wanting to um, be part of in public engagement. And, and, and again, as you said, it's, you know, to, to paraphrase, you know, if the citizens demanded, then the bureaucrats will come. And certainly public awareness is the single most important thing. It is available. It is cost effective. Obviously, I'm talking about styrofoam here, but it's available. It's cost effective. It can be done. Smaller municipalities that don't have the, you know, 18 levels of bureaucracy recognize the benefit and have gotten on board. Like I said, we're at about four dozen municipalities we service right now. We've got about 40 more that have recently been inquiring about service and so that we're in negotiations to to get arrangements made and to be able to offer up the service to them. We'll be at probably close to 100 municipalities by the end of the year that will be, yeah, receiving their service here in Alberta. So it's, if enough people demand in Calgary and Edmonton, then the authorities will will bend to their will. So that's, it's just needs to be a change in will of character from from the citizens to force that and and the gatekeepers of the systems will, will listen because that. You know, after all, at the end of the day, we're in charge as as citizens. Right on. Yeah, that's a great point. So Rainforest, let's let's put our heads together and figure out how we can make this happen. There needs to be styrofoam recycling along with our other recycling programs. There's just no way these large, gigantic chunks of air should be put into a landfill, taking up space and decomposing over millions of years. It's just not intelligent. It's not something that we should be doing. And we're better than that. So let's let's put our heads together and figure this out. And Robert, I'm guessing you're here for us and we have any questions or we'll have your uh, link to your uh, LinkedIn profile in the show notes and your company uh, website. If, if anybody has any questions, I'm assuming they can reach out to you and, and help get things uh, figured out. Absolutely. Um, feel free to give us a call or send an email customer service at styrogrow.com. We can certainly get back to you. And we, we certainly do field a lot of requests for service and we're able to point people in the right direction. And, you know, if it's a community or nearby community where, where we are providing service, we're, we're able to directly help. Right on. That's fantastic. Well, thanks, Robert. I appreciate very much uh, you coming and sharing your story uh, with us today. Thanks for the time. Appreciate it, Al. Cheers. Um, okay, everybody, tune in next week for another exciting episode of the Leaders, Innovators, and Big Ideas podcast for Rainforest Alberta. And have a wonderful rest of your day. If you haven't already, visit rainforestab.ca and sign the Rainforest Social Contract. Become part of the inclusive, silo-busting, sector-agnostic, all-industry, open-sourced, ego-shrinking, ecosystem-building, entrepreneur-focused, wide-open, social barrier-smashing community known as Rainforest Alberta. This episode is brought to you by Community Now Magazine. Engage. Inspire. Educate. Together. Music for the show was created by Tony Deldegan. Please be sure to share this episode with everyone you know. Also, don't forget to come by and say hi at the next Rainforest event. Let us know what you think of this podcast. If you're interested in being either a host, sponsor, or a guest of the show, send me an email at rainforestpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.